Through the hearts of ordinary people who say, the life that you've given to me, I've got to communicate, even to very hard places around the world. We have an opportunity to send them and many more. It's what I love about the Alliance, that we are open-handed people who say, if you've given us life, we've got to communicate that life all over the world, especially in these distinguished places. So this year, if you're an individual, if you're a church leader, whoever you are, will you consider participating this spring in Great Commission Day offering 2021?
And of course, there's always other things going on, so we encourage you to go to our website, and that is commongroundcma.org, and, and click on the, uh, the tab that says events and updates, and you will learn a lot more things. Now, uh, I just said go to the website, read the newsletter, listen to the announcements when they come, but we need you to do one more thing. Never underestimate the power of word of mouth. Okay, so uh, we'd like you to get uh, connected with one another, text one another, invite one another, keep passing this information on to one another, because you know what? I think that Evan could come up here and preach the exact same sermon that he preached last Sunday, and it would be good for me to hear it, <laughs> because I sometimes don't remember what I heard last Sunday. So it's easy for us to forget things and uh, for it to kind of slip by us. So um, just... Do that, reach out to one another, and to help you to do that during social interaction time. Oh, which, by the way, everybody say a loud hello to the Schlafmans. They've joined us on live stream. So there you go, say hi, Schlafmans. Oh, okay, that was, okay, I'll just I'll type something in the chat and say everybody said hello to you. Uh, but during our social interaction time, find somebody, get your phone out, and exchange phone numbers. And then this week, text that person and say hi and invite them to something. Okay, can you do that? All right. So go ahead, get up and say hi, get your phones out, and exchange phone numbers with one another. And have a great day. How are you?
be seated. It is at this time that we will enter into a time of tithes and offerings. So if you look up on the screen, you can see our giving links. And we just encourage you to pray about that this morning. And pray about ways that you can give back to God's kingdom. So this next song we'll be singing is a song called Promises. It's one that we played a few times in the past few weeks. Um, and it is one that um, I picked this Sunday because it is a theme I myself really needed to hear. And I just really want to point the bridge out to you guys. It says this line. It says, I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation, and he will never let me down. I think that line is so powerful because when you think of Jesus as our anchor, you think about someone being in a boat. When you put your anchor down in the water, it's that anchor that is holding you in that spot. If you didn't have that anchor, you just drift away. You drift far from Jesus, far from the places that he wants you to be. And so, as you sing this line, remember that Jesus is our anchor. He's our firm foundation. He's the cornerstone that we build up the church on, that we build our lives upon. Um, so just be praying um, on that line as we sing this next song together. Um, yeah, this song is just also just near your heart. Because God always answers the promises. Yeah. 
this time I will enter into a time of prayer. Just let me get my notebook. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus himself. So with that scripture, I'd like to just focus on that line that says, give thanks in all circumstances. And so my, um, my prompt to you guys is, how can we pray for Thanksgiving in your life? What is something that we can pray for as a body, as a church, that we can be thankful to God for? So I'll just open it up to you guys. What can we be thankful for this morning? How can we give thanks in all circumstances? I want to praise CMA and this church for providing snacks and leftover coffee and things to the Hope Center to feed the homeless people. They really appreciated that. Thank you, guys. So I'm very thankful for the Christian Missionary Alliance's focus on church planning and missions and uh, Common Ground's participation in that. So I have something to pass on from the Schlafmans here. Um, they are, uh, they made it safely to California and they have their flights to Guatemala booked. They depart November 4th. They said they would love prayer for their family as they prepare to depart for all the details needing to be accomplished, but most importantly, the preparation of their hearts. And I tried to get up, 
under our sin and trying to help me out. We finally had a call for fire rescue to get me off the floor. And I was not in it except my pride. And I just praise the Lord I can be here today with all you folks. It's good to be back with the Christian Missionary Church. Amen. I was a pastor for 27 years. Oh, that's amazing. Amen to the fire department. Not only did they rescue you, but they also put out a big fire, I think it was like two weeks ago, over by that mill area. So praise, praise God for those people that are willing to volunteer and protect us in that way. So praise God for 27 years. That's awesome. Friend? So last week, um, I read off of a text from Ben, uh, who has a friend back home that's really struggling with um, suicidal thoughts and depression. Um, and this last week, he got the chance to sit down with her and have a really good conversation. Um, so praise that um, Ben is there and able to encourage her, um, but also prayers that he um, has the strength to do that because talking to people who struggle with that is really difficult. That's very difficult. Yeah. Definitely pray for that. So um, on Monday, I think no Tuesday, uh, a friend and I uh, and mine uh, of mine, we decided to take a hike, and I took the car where I shouldn't have and got stuck. And so eventually I got closer to the road and we um, flagged somebody down and this guy pulled in and we were following him as he was driving up to the car and on the back of it it said, choose life. And I thought, hmm, who is this guy? And so he was kind of getting his truck ready to pull us out and I said, are you an angel? <laughs> he said, no, I'm a missionary. Oh, wow. But um, I just wanted to thank the Lord for providing um, help for us in such a timely way. Um, and it just made me think, I need to be aware of the needs around me and um, to change my schedule like this man did. I don't know if he was late for where he was going. But he stopped and helped us, and I think we need to be more conscious of where God is leading us and be willing to give up our schedule and go. Well, that's a cool story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, and I, I definitely second that. Being open to whatever God has for us. You know, God may have us share our testimony with someone randomly, you know, just being sensitive and spirit listening to what he has for us. Hi, I'm Judy. I got an email from Annette this week. Um, Dick's heart issue is not as bad as they thought it was going to be. I don't think he'll need an operation. And then on their drive back, they had some car issues, but they also had helping people along the way to help them out. So she was very thankful for that. All right, with that, I think we'll take these prayer requests to God.
and uh, pray together in the church. If you guys can bow your heads with me, please. Heavenly Father, uh, I know me personally, I just love this scripture. Um, I think it's an awesome way to live our lives, Jesus, because you, you've designed us and you know um, how to keep us humble, how to keep us joyful, and how to keep us content in the life that you have for us, Jesus. Um, so I thank you for this scripture, and I thank you for this opportunity to humble ourselves before you, Lord. And I just ask that um, this spirit of thankfulness would transform our lives, Lord, and transform the way we pray, uh, the way that we walk in our faith with you, Jesus, but ultimately the way that we serve others. So I just bring these prayer requests to you, Jesus, and I know myself is very thankful for your provision, God providing for people at the Hope Center, giving them food in their tummies and coffee to drink. Um, you know, that's something that warms up the soul, Lord. And so I just praise you for that, for providing. We also pray, praise you for providing for Eileen as she got trapped in her car. You had this missionary come out of nowhere and, uh, and rescue her from that crazy circumstance, Lord. What a cool testimony that that is, is that, God, that you provide and you do it at a time. So we praise you and we thank you for that. We also want to thank you for Charlie's life. He's really been in a battle with his COVID recovery. But we also want to be very thankful for the, the small victories, and that being his oxygen requirements are going down, Lord. So we praise you for that. We ask that you would continue healing his lungs, and that you continue to take steps towards getting him home, Lord. <clears throat> we also thank you for um, the CMA. We just thank you for this organization that so passionate about bringing the word to the nations, Lord. We're so thankful that uh, that you are moving in this world, Lord, that you're always doing something new. And we praise you for the Schlafmans in their lives. And we just pray that you bless their trip as they uh, are moving towards Guatemala. We pray that you would take care of those small details so that they could focus on the big picture, Lord, which is bringing more people to know your name and raising up more disciples, Lord. So we ask that you bless their family in that way. And Lord, we're also very thankful for the protections and the people that you place in Rapid City. We want to praise you for the fire department and just their willingness to come aid stuff in its time of need. And I just thank you for their strength, building up his strength, Lord. And Jesus, we ask for you to empower us in this thing, that your strength would strengthen us. And when we are at wit's end and we don't know where to go or what we're going to do, Lord, that you would empower us. So we just ask for that blessing as well. We also pray for um, Ben's friend as she's struggling with suicidal thoughts on her. She's feeling far away from you and she's in a dark place. So I just want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for Ben's life as he is a light to her because that's light inside of, that light that he has is from you, Jesus. I pray that that light would shine out brightly upon his friend and that she would see that and want that for her own life. That she would reach her hand out to you, Jesus, and come to know you. And lastly, we pray for Judy's friend, um, Dick and Annette, as um, his heart issues um, seem to be better than previously thought, Lord. And that in itself is a huge blessing. So we praise you for that. We thank you, Jesus. Uh, we just ask that you continue to heal his body, uh, give him a long life, give him lots of time on this earth to help other people like Judy was telling us about, Lord. So we just ask um, that by doing so, Lord, that um, that would be a reflection of you inside of him. So, Jesus, we just bring all these prayer requests forward. And we declare that we're going to be praying for this thing, these things throughout the week. 
and just continuing to practice that, that outlook, that perspective of never-ending thankfulness, never-ending joy, Lord, because we want to be your representatives to the world. We want to show the world how you've transformed us and how amazing our life can be with you and our life, Jesus. So with that, we lay these all at your feet this morning. We ask that you would be with our pastor, that you would empower him with your word, and that he would be able to deliver a message that convicts us and that causes us to become more like you, Jesus. So we pray this all in your holy, holy name. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Thankful for you. Thankful that you're healthy and with us again. Here, take your take your tablet, Matt. Oh. That. Well, good morning, church. How's everyone? Good. Healthy. Everyone's getting better. Zach is ready to go. He's rolling. He feels good. <laughs> good. Well, hey, we are continuing on in our series that we've been rolling through for the last six weeks now on Jesus' I Am statements, where we have recognized that the most important question, bless you, that we could ever answer as followers of Jesus is who is Jesus? And the most important thing that we have to offer the world is an answer to that question, who is Jesus? And the way that we figure out how to answer this question is by looking at what Jesus said about himself. And so we're looking through this series of statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John, where he revealed something about who he is. He revealed something about his character, something about his role in the world and in our lives, and he declared, I am Yahweh, or I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. And today, we are continuing on in that, and we are reaching the second to the last I am statement, where Jesus claimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is something that we've probably heard a lot, and this is something that if you've been around church for any length of time, then you become very familiar with this phrase. And oftentimes when us Christians who have been in church for a long time hear this statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, oftentimes the way that we've been taught it, or our first thought is that, oh, this is that statement Jesus made that leads to a lot of awkward conversations that we have with our unbelieving friends, or with other religions, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's often taught that way as well. That, hey, this is, this is the trigger that's going to lead you to a lot of awkward conversations and lead you to a lot of really pushing other people away and realizing, having to make this statement. And so I think we get nervous when it comes to this statement, but I don't think that is necessarily required because as we're going to see today, Jesus actually said this statement in the midst of a larger conversation he was having with his disciples and he told them this, he told them that I am the way, the truth, and the life, actually in order to calm their troubled hearts in the moment when he said it. He actually told them this when they were facing a lot of stress, anxiety, confusion, and he told them this essentially to calm them down, to give them peace, and to give them some direction in the midst of their confusion. And so what we're gonna see here is we look at Jesus' claim to be the way, the truth, and the life, is that Jesus is the way to eternal life, that Jesus is the truth that we need in a confusing world, and that life in God's presence is what he offers us when he claims to be the life. And that's where we're going today. And this statement takes place in John chapter 14, but as I said, it's part of a larger conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And it actually starts 
a little earlier in John chapter 13. And so if you have your Bible with you, find your way to John chapter 13. We will also have the words on the screen, but we'll start in verse 36 there of John 13. John 13, 36. And then we'll continue on through the end of 13 into the beginning of 14 where Jesus actually makes the statement. But my hope is that you'll be able to see in the context of where Jesus said this powerful statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And just kind of the purpose that he was intending by saying this thing to his disciples. Because really he said it in the middle of a really specific conversation, something that they were really dealing with at the time. And so here, we'll begin here in John chapter 13. And we'll actually, we'll begin in verse 34 here. Or, whichever the, the first one is. <laughs> Go back to the one. Yeah, there it is. So here Jesus is saying, When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is kind of the beginning of this conversation as we get towards Jesus claiming to be the way and the truth and the life. And what you see very early on is what is happening in this conversation. Jesus is saying goodbye, that this conversation actually takes place just a few days right before Jesus is going to die on the cross and leave this earth. And so this conversation is Jesus saying goodbye to his disciples. And Peter here is a little uncomfortable with that. He's not quite okay with that. And you can see that he's flustered, he's distraught here. And we know that goodbyes are difficult, right? If you ever had to say goodbye in a serious way, you know that they're hard. Right before Lena and I moved here, we had two months that we called the farewell tour where we went around just saying goodbye to all of our friends and family and just spent all this time, you know, like, okay, gathering up like the strength to say goodbye to these people that we knew we weren't gonna get to see for very long and you find yourselves in the midst of goodbyes, like being sentimental with friends that you were never sentimental with before, you know? Friends I had probably never said a nice, encouraging word to in my entire life, and now all of a sudden I'm just like hugging them, saying, I love you, man, thanks so much. And goodbyes have that effect. But goodbyes, especially like in our goodbyes, it wasn't that hard because we know that we can see those people again, okay, that we're just moving to another state and that our family still lives in that area, so we'll have plenty of reason to visit. And now we live in a cool place, and so we have plenty of reason to try to get people to visit us. But goodbyes are even harder when you don't know if you're going to get to see people again, or when you know for a fact that you won't get to see someone again. When you have to say goodbye to someone who's passing away, or to someone who's not just moving to another state, but maybe they're moving to another country, or they're just going very far away where you know you might never see them again. That makes it much more difficult. 
And what's even harder is when these goodbyes are rushed, right? When you don't actually have the time to set aside time to go see them, to talk to them, and to actually say goodbye, but instead, sometimes people are just gone, or sometimes they just leave. And I know one of the hardest things about the last two years for a lot of people is that in the pandemic, a lot of people have been unable to say goodbye. And that there are cases, and I've talked to many people who have lost loved ones and family members, and they weren't able to see them, and they weren't able to see them in their final moments, or they weren't able to actually say goodbye. And you realize in that point that not saying goodbye is actually harder than actually saying. That lack of clarity, that lack of closure that you have here when things happen so quickly. And for Peter, this is a bit of the emotion he was going through. Jesus is all of a sudden just saying, hey, I'm going to be leaving soon, by the way. And uh, you don't get to follow me just yet. You'll get to come later, but you don't get to follow me just yet. And Peter was scared. And he goes, what do you mean? Why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And now Peter has followed Jesus for three years at this point. Left his job, left his life behind, has become a really intense follower of Jesus. He was devoted to him. And then he says, you know, I, I want to follow you. I'll do anything to follow you. I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus actually calls him out here and says, okay, Mr. Zealot, You'll lay your life down for me? I think we're going to see, just in the course of tonight, that you're actually going to deny me three times. That you're not actually going to be that fanatic or that zealous for me. And Peter, in this moment, he really wanted to prove himself to Jesus. And he really wanted to say, like, oh no, like, I'm going to follow you and I'll lay my life down for you and I'll do whatever it takes to continue to follow you. And I can handle it. I can keep up with you. Wherever you go, I can keep up. I can do that. You can't get away from me. And see, what Peter was really trying to do in this moment was, he was thinking he could be good enough, right? To, maybe he was going to be good enough to like keep Jesus close, or he was going to follow him so closely, or lay enough of his life down that Jesus couldn't get away from him, that he could keep step with him, that wherever Jesus was going, he was going to be able to keep up, be good enough, and be in lockstep with him. And he was going to earn Jesus' presence by laying his life down, by working really hard, by being that zealous follower that Peter was known for being. But Peter didn't really understand how it was going to work, and he didn't really understand how faith works in general either. Because one of the things we have to recognize when it comes to Jesus' offer of eternal life, Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, that first claim when Jesus said, I am the way... We're going to get to it in a bit, but to explain what he meant when I am the way, and he explains I am the way to eternal life, I am the way to the Father. What Peter was thinking here, and what needed to be corrected, is Peter was thinking, I can find that way, right? Jesus had to correct him and say, no, 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 I am that way. Not your effort, Peter, not the laying down of your life, not being good enough, I am the way. And Peter, in this moment, we see him saying, I'll lay down my life, I, I can keep up. I can find my own way, in a sense. Peter didn't understand Jesus being the way means, first off, that the reality that we can't be good enough, that we can't follow good enough to actually do that on our own. But it's actually this act of faith. And that's one of the reasons Jesus points out in this situation. He says, you won't lay down your life for me 
yet, but you'll deny me three times tonight. He's telling Peter that you won't be good enough in a sense. You won't be good enough. You won't be able to keep up. But Jesus is also saying to him in this situation, you don't actually have to earn my love anyway. You don't actually have to find your way to me anyway. You don't have to impress me to keep me close or to follow me. And Jesus was saying here that he was already loved, that he didn't need to prove himself. And even though this like intense, like high, high-performing disciple here was going to be ashamed in just a few hours, Jesus is saying that I don't love you because you're willing to die for me. And your willingness to die for me is not going to affect my love for you or your path on this way. And Jesus actually says that he loves him anyway, even though he is this weakling who is going to deny him three times. Because Jesus knew that was going to happen. But nonetheless, Jesus is saying, it's okay, your effort is not what makes the way. I'm the one who makes the way. So Peter thought he could earn it, thought he could work. But what Jesus said in verse 38, will you really lay down your life? No, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me. And this is where I think our English Bibles kind of let us down a bit, because this is like right where the chapter ends, and it seems like cutscene, Jesus says, no, you're going to die me three times. And then we imagine it like we imagine a movie, it's like this dramatic boom. It's like dark or commercial break. And that's like the end of a scene. And then the next chapter is just going to pick up, you know, somewhere off in another conversation. Um, but actually, chapter 14 is part of the same conversation. Um, and so it's not this really harsh rebuke of Jesus saying, you were going to deny me three times. Drop the mic and leave. And Peter's just there like, oh, I'm the worst. No. He says, very truly I tell you, before the roaster crows, you will disown me three times picks right up. Same conversation in chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. So Jesus says, Peter, you won't lay down your life for me yet. You will actually deny me three times. That is a problem. You're not as hardcore as you think. Believe it or not, Peter. What we're going to see later is Peter, he thought he was really tough. He brought a sword when Jesus got arrested. Couldn't even hit a guy standing around in front of him. I don't know how he messed that up. I probably dodged, but still, Peter's not as hardcore as he thinks he is. And Jesus is saying, that's okay. You believe in me. You have faith in me. And in this sense, that is all it actually takes. You see, Peter thought he could keep up. He thought he could do the hardest thing, and that is to lay your life down. He's like, I'm willing to do the hard thing to follow you, Jesus, and so I should be able to follow you wherever you go, and I should be able to find my way to you, to the Father, because of my effort, because of my hard work, because of my willingness to do whatever it takes. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't, but don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And he was saying here that I am the way to eternal life. Jesus is saying, the only way to get there is through me. You believe in me. So don't be troubled. Don't think you have to do this thing. You can't get there on your own anyway. But as you believe in God, believe in me. That's where he's going to get into this. Where he says, I am the way. That belief in Christ is actually the way to get 
where you want to go. It's actually the way to get to God's presence. It's the way to eternal life. It's not this effort that Peter thinks. It's not this laying his life down that he thinks he can do and he thinks he can keep up with. But Jesus is simply saying, the thing I require from you, Peter, is faith. Focus on this. Have faith in me as you have faith in God. And with Jesus being the way to eternal life, the way we follow the way, I wish we had a different word for that, but the means with which we follow the way is through faith. It's faith in Jesus. If he is the way, then it's not our own effort, it's not whatever we can do, it's not our own ability to keep up with him. It is our belief in him. And it's our faith alone that puts us on the way. Because Jesus, after all, is the way. And so it's belief in him, as he said there in that, that first verse. And Jesus also in that claim, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. The second one, I'm the truth. This is where we see this being so critical. Because with Jesus being the truth, we know that in really confusing times, just like this was for Peter, that Jesus is what we have to hang on to. He is the reality that we can be anchored to. Jesus, when the world seems crazy and confusing all around us, Jesus being the truth is critical. You see, because this conversation that Peter is having with Jesus took place just one week after Palm Sunday. So it was one week after the triumphant entry when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And he had this kingly entrance with this huge crowd around him and everyone was excited and motivated. And they were like, this is it. Jesus is leading a rebellion. He's going to overthrow the puppet king Herod and he's going to put Israel back and he's going to reinstall David's throne and it's going to be great and it's going to be amazing. He would overthrow the government and now a week later hasn't happened yet, has it? And then here the disciples, they're celebrating the Passover and it seems like they're having this really great meal with their rabbi and with all their closest friends and everything seems to be going so good. And then Jesus starts to say some really weird things about the bread and the wine. And then he starts to say that like the old covenant, Passover, um, that blood, the Passover blood is now his own blood. And that the bread, um, he breaks the bread and he says like, oh, this bread is a symbol of my body that's going to be broken for you. And it almost sounds like Jesus is thinking he's going to die. And the disciples are thinking, like, what on earth? I thought we were just celebrating the Passover here. And I thought we were on our way to overthrow the government and to lead this rebellion and that the Messiah was going to do all these things. And then Judas is also acting really weird at dinner. He's just off. Something's up with that guy. He leaves early. Nobody knows why. Nobody knows what he left to do. What is going on? And the disciples just seem so confused. And Jesus sees this and he senses it. And he's not indifferent to it, but he cares for them. And he said that sentence in verse 1 of chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. And he's going into this teaching because clearly everything is getting shaken up around them. And they have no idea what to do. It's all very confusing. And in just a few hours after this moment, Jesus is going to be betrayed, and he told them that at dinner. He's like, hey, one of you is going to betray me, and the disciples were looking around like, who is it? No, no one's going to do that. 
and in just a few hours, that's going to happen. And he's going to be put to trial, and he's going to be mocked and spit on and beat, and then crucified. And then he will be dead. And for three days, the disciples will be even more confused than they have been before. And Jesus, concerned for them, just knowing the confusion that they're in, he says, guys, don't worry. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Everything is going to be okay. I am in control. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And Jesus, in this moment, is gentle and he's tender and he's seeing the confusion that they're in, but he's also very powerful in this moment, claiming to be the truth. When all of these weird things are changing around them, when all of their plans and all of the rumors about who Jesus is and what needs to be done to him and, and who the Messiah really is are getting flung around. And Jesus is saying, trust me that I am the truth. Hang on to me. And just as the disciples are confused, like, well, where are you even going and why can't we follow? Jesus is saying, trust me. I am the truth. I am the truth. And just as it was important for them to know then... I think it's just as important for us today to be able to hang on to Jesus' truth. Because even though we might not be going through the same intense situation that the disciples were going through with all the things shifting around them and, and Jesus fulfilling his plan of dying on the cross right before their eyes, nonetheless, we still live in a pretty confusing time to be alive. Wouldn't you agree? It's pretty confusing. You know, like, do you trust this information? Do you trust that information? Do you make this choice? Do you make that choice? For a while, it was looking kind of encouraging because people were getting really into, you know, fact-checking and all these fact-checking websites were coming out. And it was like, okay, awesome. Like, people care about the truth and, you know, they're correcting things. And then you look one thing up on one fact-checking website and it says, you know, it says A. Then you look up another website and it says something completely different. And you're wondering, well, what on earth? How do I, how do I know? This is really confusing. Or you try to watch the weather in Rapid City. <laughs> and you wonder, what on earth is going to happen? Is it going to rain? Is it going to snow 24 inches? Is it going to snow 1 inch? Might it be 75 degrees? You have no idea. And you can watch two different weathercasts, and they will have completely different ideas of what's going to happen. And it's really confusing. Or maybe you were a young man planning to have romantic relationships with young women, you're going to be confused your entire life. That's just the way it works. That this world is confusing. I don't know how it is for you ladies, but it's, it's tricky. But nonetheless, it's confusing. And it's in the face of all this confusion when we aren't always going to know the right decision, when we aren't always going to have truth and clarity on the choice that we're supposed to make or the direction of our life or what is truth that we can hang on to. We won't always have that. That actually, especially following Jesus, following Jesus oftentimes, you know, we've said it before, it feels like the Exodus. Sometimes it can feel like wandering where you are just following God one step at a time. But nonetheless, even in the face of this confusing world and how confusing it is to make these decisions and to follow Christ, we can hang on to the truth of who Jesus is. That Christ lived a sinless life, that he died, on the third day he rose from the grave, and he's coming back to take us with him, to be with him forever, and to put everything right. 
And we can hold on to that foundational truth. And while everything around us seems so confusing, and everything seems to be shifting, we might not know if we've made the right decision on this or that. What we can hold on to is Christ, is Jesus. And so we can navigate through the confusion of life, knowing that the most important truth, that question that this whole series is answering of who is Jesus, that we have clarity on, that we have answered that, that we have that foundational truth held solidly in our hand. And so the way that we work through the confusion and the troubles in this life is by continually holding to that reality. Jesus is the truth. That while reality for us might seem hard to figure out, there's one thing that we have figured out. And we've talked about it before in the Daniel series, how um, sometimes the paradigm we have of faith is like as a muscle, you know, you need to like work out your muscle, and like the stronger your muscles are, the better your prayers get, something like that. And I don't think that's actually an accurate description of faith in Scripture, but instead, I challenged us to view faith like a lens, right? A lens that sees reality for what it is, a lens that sees clearly. And so, when our faith is strengthened, our faith is clarified, it's actually able to just see reality more clearly. It's able to see God working in the world where we couldn't before. It's able to see Him in control of things when it seemed like things were just chaotic. It's able to see the truth of Christ in the midst of all this blurry confusion. And this is what He's calling the disciples here to, to have that clarity of faith. To have that clarity of faith. And it's when we're able to have faith in Him, and to focus on Him as the object of our faith, the object that our lens And now one of the things that was so confusing for the disciples in this whole interaction was that Jesus kept saying, it's actually good for Him to be leaving them. He kept saying, you know, it's actually better that I leave you. And they were like, what on earth? No, it can't be. And He was explaining later on in chapter 14 here that it was better for Him to leave because then the Holy Spirit would come and he would fill them. And Jesus says this in chapter 14 and verse 15, where he goes on and he says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You see, because Jesus was fully human, he could only be in one place at one time. He was there with the disciples, and if he left to go to heaven, he was no longer there with the disciples. It's kind of how object permanence works. You guys understand that? It's something we learned at a young age when we could peekaboo, right? But the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. That if Jesus ascends to the Father, then the Holy Spirit can come and fill all believers, and fill all things. As Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, that the Holy Spirit then comes and is able to fill all people. And this is one of the main roles, actually, of the Holy Spirit in our lives, is actually to guide us in this confusing world. As the Spirit of truth, He is the one who clears that lens of our faith and helps us to see Jesus when the reality around us seems to confuse us. That the Holy Spirit actually strengthens us and guides us in this. And the Apostle Paul wrote about this in Ephesians chapter 4. About the Spirit helping us in this. 
And he said in chapter 4, verse 13, he's talking about the Spirit, you know, building us up and helping us. And he said, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every kind of wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. This is one of the main goals of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus was saying. That it's it's going to be better for you for me to leave because the Spirit will come and will help to clarify your faith and will help to make you more like me. He's the Spirit of truth and I am the truth. He's me. And he says all that confusing language in there as well. And that's what he's saying. He's going to come. And so Jesus is saying, trust me. Trust me. I know everything seems chaotic and confusing right now. But trust me, I am the truth, I, can, I am the reality that you can hold on to. And even though it looks bad, even though it looks confusing, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I'm actually making a way for you to follow me, and I will come back. And so he says, trust me, hold on to me as your reality. And then he goes on in verse 2. We've actually only covered one verse of chapter 14, but it's okay. We'll keep moving. So he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God as you believe in me. And then he says, he's talking about this way that he's preparing for them. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Answer, no. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. You know the way to the place where I am going. And then Thomas speaks up. Thomas is often called Doubting Thomas, right? I think kind of unfairly. But Thomas is one of those guys who he just catches like the last thing Jesus said, and that's all he heard. You know, when someone is telling you a story and they throw in like a little detail that you disagree with or that you're unsure about, then that's all you heard out of their whole sentence. That's Thomas in this moment. I remember it was um, quite a few years ago. Uh, it was about a decade ago when I was in college and I was leading a small group at our church for middle school boys. There were a bunch of eighth graders. And these kids were really rough. They basically uh, were carted to youth group every week by a mom in our church that we called Supermom because she was amazing. And she had a big, like, 14-passenger van. And her deal with these kids was that if they went with her son and if they went to youth group every week, then she would buy them Taco Bell after um, youth group every night. Or every week, then, not every night. But every week after youth group. And so I would have to, you know, be with these kids at youth group and, you know, lead them in Bible study and lead them in discussion. And then I would have to take them to Taco Bell, which was pretty close to our church at the time, after church, and she would give me money to buy them lunch and stuff. And it was one week when, I don't know what happened, but sometime between like the end of youth group and me like wrangling them and getting them to talk about, they all just vanished. They were just gone. Could not find any of them. And there was like 12 of them, so that was like a big group to lose, and I felt really bad about it. And this is a group you do not want to lose. They just cause all kinds of problems. And so I finally like, I actually never even found them that day. 
But then I called one of them the next day, and I was like, hey, where'd you guys go? You guys ended up getting picked up early or something. Plan has to change. And um, this one kid, Ruben, he was really flustered, and he starts explaining to me. He's like, well, we were trying to be on our way to talk about, but we had to stop by you know, our friend's house and pick up our airsoft guns, and then we were going to TP the church, and so we had to get all the supplies for that. And then this mean guy came out and started yelling at us, and he started telling me this sob story about how some adult was mean to them. And I didn't hear any of that, because what I heard was, wait, you went and got airsoft guns, and then you were going to TP the church? <laughs> they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, this guy was really rude to us. Like, we're eighth graders, and he was mean. <laughs> All I could hear was their plan, which their plan actually succeeded. They TP the church that night, but anyway. <laughs> this is how Thomas is feeling at the time. Jesus says, yeah, I'll go prepare a place, and you know the way. And Thomas is going... Verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas is really hung up on that. And it's kind of a fair question. Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus said, I am the way. And because you know me, because you have faith in me, you know where you're going. And I'm saying, I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to God's presence. And you're wondering, where is that? How do I get there? And Peter's thinking, yeah, I'm ready for a hike. I can handle anything. I can lay my, down my life to go on this trek. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You get there through faith. You know me. You believe in me. So you know the way. So don't be afraid when I leave you. Because you have been my faithful followers, and you know me. And so you will be with God. You will be in his presence. And he says, I will come back and take you to God's house there. As he said earlier, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I will come take you. Don't worry. And Jesus said this to calm their troubled hearts. To comfort them when they thought potentially they were going to be left all on their own. Left as orphans, as Jesus had to remind them later. I will not leave you as orphans. Where are you going? They're wondering, and Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Even through the troubles and confusion, I will get you there. Just trust in me. And one of the things that he is offering them there for that promise to be in God's presence, to be with God, is life. It's life eternal. It's what they were following him in the first place for. To be in God's presence. That's the whole reason that, that Israel existed, was for God to have a people in whom he could dwell. And that's the reason Jesus came, is to die so that we could be in God's presence, that we could be made right in order to be with God. And here... This is what Jesus is offering. Jesus is saying, I am offering this life, this life in God's presence. And actually knowing me and having faith in me and holding on to my truth is how you receive this promise of life, this life in God's presence. And Jesus says something really interesting in here, talking about life in God's presence. He says he's making a home for us. He's making a home for us. He says, you know, in God, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. 
and he's describing heaven here. He's talking about heaven, and he's talking about preparing heaven for us. And you know, the Bible has some descriptions of heaven, but it doesn't really have that much, does it? Right? There really isn't that many details about heaven. You know, there are some metaphors and some descriptions, but as far as like painting a clear picture of like, what is it like? There isn't that much. You know, we talk, no one talks about a party, and it talks about a banquet, and it talks about angels worshiping, and it talks about God being sovereign and ruling over all creation. But there isn't that much there. And this has led to, you know, all kinds of speculation about what it might be like, and artists, you know, have really just taken liberty um, to delve into their imagination and come up with what it might be like. Um, and there are all these, I think, silly books out there of people who say, you know, I died and then I went to heaven. And it was amazing. And then you read their descriptions, and their descriptions aren't that amazing. There's one very, very popular book about someone going to heaven, and they're like, there was grass there, and the grass was still green. It's like, green grass? That's it? Like, <laughs> I think it's going to be better than that. Or like, oh, I sat on my grandpa's lap. It's like, that's cool, but like, is that, that's all we have to look forward to is just sitting on grandpa's lap the whole time? <laughs> and so Randy Alcorn. Uh, in his book on heaven that I would highly recommend, he asks this question, why is scripture lacking a, a comprehensive description of heaven? And he says, I think it's because we simply don't have language or an experience on which we can build an analogy of correspondence. That essentially, heaven is so far beyond anything we have ever experienced here or so far beyond what we even have language to describe that to put a detailed description of what it would be like in here for us would almost kind of cheapen it or defeat the purpose. Because the reality is that no eye has seen and no ear has heard what it is that God has prepared for those of us. And so we're simply like unable to describe it. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that, you know, the things in heaven, if someone travels to heaven and sees these things, then the things are so amazing that they're almost not even permitted to share it. Not even permitted to say that this is where Jesus is telling his disciples he's going and he's preparing this and he's going to bring them to it. He's going to bring them to it and it is going to be great. And you know, some of us have some pretty good lives here and I hope that you can nod and say, yeah, that's me, I have a great life. And I hope that continues but what we have to recognize is that even, you know, the peaks of our life, you know, the disciples, they were probably expecting, you know, their life to be peaking when they were celebrating the Passover and at Palm Sunday with the triumphant entry. This is like as good as it gets. And what Jesus is saying is that the place I'm preparing for you, the place that you will be with me, is going to be even better than that. And that this is actually a core reality of heaven, that even the best of life that we can have here that where God is taking us later will far exceed that. It's going to be so amazing that anything we've experienced or can describe on this earth just pales in comparison to it. That heaven will exceed our peaks. And it's actually in that same book that Randy Alcorn wrote um, that he shares this um, little chart to kind of explain this. And I was thinking about it, um, presenting this last week when we talked about the resurrection. Um, but then I recognize that I also have to teach this week because Mark is sick. And so, guess what? We've got time to be able to share it again. But Randy Alcorn kind of outlines exactly how much better this is. That even our peaks 
in life on earth pale in comparison to the heaven that we will be in immediately after we die, the present heaven. And then one day when Jesus returns and creates the new heaven, a new heaven and a new earth, that the peaks, the enjoyment, the glory of our life with him will even exceed that. And that the life Jesus is promising, this eternal life, if we hold to him as the way, the truth, and the life, will be better than anything we could have experienced here. And it could be only exceed the peaks of our lives. And this is what Jesus is promising his disciples here. He's saying, I am preparing a place for you. Trust me, I will come and get you, and it will be better. I promise it will be better. But now, obviously, Jesus is saying this because what he recognizes is that the disciples' lives, the reality is that they did peak. Uh, you know, yeah, this was probably a Palm Sunday. Yeah, it's about to get really rough at the end of the story. And so Jesus knows this is coming. And the reality for us that we know is that by signing up to follow Jesus, you're volunteering yourself for some tension this life, um, for some difficulties. You just are. To have some confusion in your life. And that, that doesn't mean it's always bad, but it does mean that for the follower of Christ, that in this life, there are really high highs, but there might be some really low lows, that just as Christ was persecuted, that we will also be persecuted, that just as Christ suffered, that we will also suffer. And it's just like any good and deep relationship, whether it be marriage or parenting, or church community, that there are some amazing high highs, and then there are some really hard low lows just because of the depth of intimacy and love that we have in these relationships. And the reality is that signing up to following Jesus' way and to holding to him as the truth, and to holding on to the promise of receiving his life one day, it doesn't guarantee an easy life that's just up and to the right, um, but it actually more so guaranteeing suffering, right? Guaranteeing that not everything will go great. And now when I first, when I first started having to preach regularly, you know, I was just realizing first up how hard that was, and so I was really just looking for voices and looking for help, and I went into what I call my Tim Keller season, which I think is what everyone should have at some point in their life, where I pretty much just like read every book he had published and listened to like every talk he'd ever given for like two straight years, I was just like absorbing as much Tim Keller as I could get. And I remember at one point, I couldn't find where it was that he said it, but he was talking about how, you know, in preaching and in the learning that we do as a community, we have to really discern, okay, what is God speaking to this community? And, and you know, what are some of the common themes that we are going to be experiencing together? And what are some of those important truths that we don't just preach on once and then never come back to again, but that we probably need to circle around to like three or four times a year, or even in every preaching series, or maybe even in like every sermon. And he said, you know, be aware and be watching for what these themes are that just need to be brought back to, that these truths that people need to be brought back to over and over again. And honestly, one of those truths that I always feel a need to come back to and that I sense God tugging us back to over and over is the whole idea that Okay, life can stink, but Jesus is with you, and he loves you, and he will get you through it. <laughs> that common theme. It's not like the most fun thing to preach on, but 
but I definitely am seeing that through all of the different series that we've gone through the last few months, especially when we went through Daniel, and you just see, see that when life stinks, Jesus is with you and he loves you, and he's going to get you through it. Then we saw it in the Psalms in so many different places, in Psalm 23 with Jesus as the Good Shepherd, and we see it over and over in the I Am series. That even when life stinks, even when it's getting confusing, even when everything seems to be falling apart like it did for the disciples, that Jesus is with you, that he loves you, and he's going to get you through it. And it's a staple. And it's a staple. And it's still worth following Jesus, even though this might be the case. But the reality is that the best we've ever had here on earth doesn't even compare to what it is that Jesus is preparing for us or going to bring us into later. It falls so short that God doesn't even employ a metaphor, doesn't even give that much description. And so Jesus, he promises this. He says, don't worry, I'll prepare a place for you in heaven. It's going to be great. And Philip, he's still hanging on to the idea um, in verse 8. He's like, wait, you said God's house? The Father's house? Philip is still hung up on that. In verse 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Right? He's like, Jesus, let's just forget about this whole leaving thing. And even though it's great, he's like, you know, I will be satisfied if you just show us God's glory. Like, just give me a good experience with God and of God, and that will be enough. You don't, don't worry about building a house or whatever. Just give me an image of God. That's what Philip wants. He wants this sign here. He wants this sign. He wants this experience. He wants his faith to then be built on that. To be built on some vision, some sign that he can see. And we talked about it a few weeks ago. Jesus has done a bunch of signs. And Jesus has performed all these miracles in order to point people to himself. And then when people, like when he multiplied the bread and the fish, he said, hey, I did this sign so that you would believe in me and that you would see me. And then he's like, hey, you're in. And they're still like, no, we want more signs. And Jesus is kind of giving him the same response here, that the sign was to get you to me, and now you see me, and so you don't need any more signs. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? And Jesus is saying, Philip, I am God. I've given you this vision. I've given you this sign. Show us the Father. He's like, here it is. You've gotten to witness firsthand all these I am statements. You've gotten to see all these miracles. You've gotten enough signs. I am all you need. And Philip is probably thinking, okay, in order for me to trust you, that you're going to come back and take me to that place, I just need like one more experience, one more vision of God, and then I'll be good. And Jesus is like, no, you don't need anything else. I will come back and get you. Just know me as the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is, again, just reminding the reality that God came in the person of Christ. Fully God, fully man. And he's saying, anything and everything you need is in me. I am the way. I am the way. You can't be good enough. You don't need to earn my love. You don't need to earn your way to follow me. You need to know me. And I am the truth. And I know that everything is really confusing now. 
and you're not quite sure what decision you're going to be making, you're not going to be sure at all in the next 24 hours what exactly you're called to do, but just hold to me. And then he said, and I know that your life is about to get rough. Um, and all of them except the Apostle John was going to be put to death soon. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to come back for you, and you're going to have life. That even if your life is going to take a dive real soon, it's going to be good. And I will give you the life, because I am the way, the truth, and life. And this is what Jesus is calling them to in this moment. You can't find your own way. I am the way. And I know everything's confusing, but I am the truth. Hold to me. And I know the life is going to be rough, but I am going to give you an even better life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is what Jesus was saying to them when he made this intense statement. Saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And he called his disciples to hold to that reality. And then we're going to get into, in the next 24 hours, then Jesus is going to be put to death. And he has one more I am statement left. But this is one of the last things he said to his disciples. In the midst of this intense, chaotic moment, in this scary conversation where he suddenly was saying goodbye, he told them this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So would you hold on to that truth as well? Would you hold on to that truth when we feel the need to, to grasp and to find our way to God and to, to prove ourselves? Would you know that you know the way, that you know Christ, that He is the one who made the way. And when life is confusing and the world around you seems to just make all the decisions so hard and makes you question everything, would you never question that one thing, that Christ raised from the dead and is coming back for you and will give you a life that will exceed even your peaks on this life? And would you hold to that statement that He made, just as He was calling the disciples there to hold to it? Would you bow your heads? Well, Father God, I just thank you for sending your son Jesus to this world to live and to die and to conquer death for us. And God, as we look at Jesus' teachings this morning, we just see your love and your care for us, and we see your power in this situation. We just see your power when everything for the disciples seems to be falling apart, Jesus was not shaken. He was not afraid. He knew what was coming. He knew he was about to be beaten and killed. But yet, his focus was not on himself and the pain he was about to endure, but it was on his disciples. It was on us, and it was on calming our troubled hearts and reminding us the truth of who he is. And so, God, would you, through your Holy Spirit, just empower us today to know the reality of Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Would you continue to give us direction on how it is that you're calling us to follow you? Would you continue to just help us to relinquish that control that we try to place on our lives, that we try to place on being good enough, on, on earning our salvation, on earning our place at your side, but would you just continue to remind us of the work that Christ's done? has done for us, of the love that we have that is unconditional. The call for us is to believe in Him and have faith. 
And God, would you continue to just clear that lens of our faith? Help us to see reality for what it is. To help us to see Jesus for who he is. And all other aspects of our lives would fall into place after that. Would you empower us in that, to clean that lens? And God, would you just continue to remind us, be speaking to us about the hope that we have in eternal life, the hope that we have of heaven and the new earth, and how one day you will put everything right. And God, when life isn't going the way we expected it to be, when it's not going up and to the right, would we be people who hear your still small voice reminding us that you are with us, that you love us, and that you are going to give us eternal life and come back for us. Remind us of that reality every day. Cause us to be stirred and motivated by it. So Jesus, we just thank you for being in this room. And now we turn to you in praise for all that you are and all that you have done. So we love you. It's in your name that we pray.
Common Ground Church, as you go, let me take this opportunity to also remind you about our podcast that we have, the Common Ground Church CMA podcast, because as I mentioned, Mark Cole was intended and planned to preach this sermon, and he spent a lot of time getting prepared to preach on Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, and then because of sickness and because they're out of town, he's unable to do that, but we were able to capture that on the podcast, so go listen to there and listen to what God has been speaking for Mark when it comes to Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And as you go, would you go with the words of Hebrews chapter 13? Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen? Well, grace and peace. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for coming.